Ladies and gentlemen, one, two, three, Want to be better, richer, happier? Of course you do. Welcome to the Be Less Crap podcast. Let's go. A podcast devoted to helping you become a less mediocre human. With your host, very much a work in progress herself, Charlotte Sherston. Hello and welcome. My name is Charlotte and this is the Be Less Crap podcast. On today's show, I'm excited to be chatting with Australian columnist, blogger, and author of the soon-to-be-released book, The Secret of Half-Assed Parenting. Dr. Susie O'Brien, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Um, I have to say, as far as book titles go, that one is a zinger. Um, (laughs) Can you maybe start off by telling me a little bit about the book and explain why half-assed parenting is your recommended route to surviving parenthood? Well, the idea for the book came about with a column I wrote for the Herald Sun about three or four years ago and um, my digital editor was saying to me Christmas we've got to do something about Christmas I'm so sick of Christmas I'm going to have a half-assed Christmas and I thought oh what's such a good idea because I pretty much every Christmas I have is half-assed anyway and so I started doing a series of pieces about half-assed Christmas half-assed birthday parties um, where you maybe don't invite every single person that your child has ever met and make a seven-tier birthday cake. And you actually don't look at any Instagram posts to get inspiration for that birthday party. You just get out the Woman's Weekly Cookbook, put the kids in the backyard, point the hose at them and let them go. Um, anyway, so I did a whole lot of pieces about half-assed life my half-assed life basically and then I started thinking that perhaps I wanted to collect some of these pieces together in a book and the more I thought about parenting the more I realized that something has become really out of whack that we are now almost at the behest of our kids they are running the show the the inmates are running the asylum and parents are running themselves so ragged trying to keep up with the kids demands the demands of other parents on social media demands from our school like to turn up and have a perfect homemade um uh, costume for book week fuck book week I have, fuck I, book week who's got the, i do not have the time in my life to make something from scratch from get out the sewing kit and make something for book week i'm not against book week but if i can hand my son a saucepan and put it on his head and tell him he's going as a saucepan man from Enid Blyton, of course he's never heard of that book, but that's okay, um, then at least I get through not feeling like a complete and utter failure. Yeah, I mean, I have to say at the start of the book, you sort of take a, a nostalgic look at childhood through the 70s and 80s and even the early 90s, you know, when kids could run free and they could take peanut butter sandwiches to school without fear of reproach. <laughs> what happened to that childhood? You know, where do you feel like the wheels fell off and And when did we all start feeling like we had to have this perfect child that was the centre of our universe? Yeah, it's. I remember being um, at my kids. um, He had a soccer practice. Like we'd go and play soccer once a week, and at the end of it, all the parents were rushing around taking photos on the last day. And I was working. I had my laptop. People were saying, "Oh, do you want me to take a photo of of Jack for you?" Like photo. I'm not taking a photo because he's finished. 12 weeks of soccer practice like they hadn't even won a game and they were getting getting medals for turning up who drove them there me where's my medal nowhere (laughs) so I started thinking actually we're the ones who need the medals even if it's just for participation and and not actually I want I want an encouragement medal for my parenting however bad it may be because I do feel like I'm doing most of the work 
But I think things started falling off in perhaps the 80s, the 90s, certainly when social media came on the scene in the noughties. Um, it raised the bar because we had so many more people to compare our, our failures or successes with. And never before has it been so hard to be a parent. I mean, these days, even lunchboxes are supposed to have nude food. I mean, since when is glad rat the enemy? Um, parents are told off for trying to get a bonk on a Saturday morning. They're not allowed to be nude, but the food has to be nude. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that, uh, the bonk on the Saturday morning, because I was going to say, I understand you and your partner together have um, five kids combined, which sounds exhausting. Um, <laughs> one of the things I frequently see amongst my friends is that as soon as they start having children, they sort of go all in and become, you know, so focused on their children that they start treating their husband or their partner like a bit of an afterthought or like their least favorite child. Um, what is your <laughs> advice for not sacrificing too much of your relationship to the raising kids part of your life so that you still end up liking that person opposite you at the end of the term? I think one of the things we have to do is lower our expectations. I mean, so many and drop our standards, drop the guilt. I mean, so many of us are working and raising children and we find this amazing juggle um, because, of course, we're still trying to maintain relationships as well. And no one actually thinks. Everybody thinks about doing less work. People don't think about doing less parenting, less of that guilt-ridden, hands-on, intensive parenting that takes up so much time and so much energy. I mean, when I was young, my parents would buy Lego and it would be a box of Lego and they'd put it on the floor and we would create things, um, usually guns to kill my sister with, <laughs> but it would be something that I would do myself. Now we have Lego and you spend 12 hours on Christmas Day or, or the Boxing Day putting together your children's Lego for them. So things have become way out of whack and it's no wonder we don't have time for our parents let alone ourselves um the the kids have totally taken over yeah no i mean one of the things that i read about was a divorce lawyer saying that in terms of marriage it's not necessarily the big things like infidelity and money issues that actually are the cause of marital breakdown. He said that it's often something he calls slippage. So it's all those incremental little ways that we maybe ignore our partner because we're so hyper-focused on our children. And um, there's a really nice quote that um, I'm going to read just because it kind of speaks to this. And um, it says, you know, how couples can slip out of love. And this, I think this sums it up perfectly. It says, the only way to prevent this sad metamorphosis is to remember that the kids are not the reason you got together. They are a very absorbing project that you have undertaken with each other, like a three-dimensional moving jigsaw puzzle that talks back and leaves its underwear in the bathroom, which I think speaks rather poignantly to keeping things in perspective. It's not all about your children and they aren't the most important thing in your life, even though they might feel like it at the time. I think that, that there is so much expectation to do with uh, the the, um, the social media um, monitoring of every step of our children's lives. So um, they come last in a race, they get a ribbon. We take a photo of it, we put it on Facebook. They grow older. That's something most kids manage to do without any effort every year, but we we make it such a big deal about it and we put it on social media and we compare the, the presents people get give and we compare the, the birthday parties, the cakes that people create. Um, and we're just creating this huge amount of, 
stress for ourselves. It's no wonder we don't have time to, um, you know, have a Saturday morning bonk without an audience. Um, we can't, half the time we can't even go to the toilet without an audience. I do remember when my youngest son was about three and um, trying to find time to go to the toilet without him in there was quite difficult. And I used to say to him, I need my privacy. Um, so he followed me in the toilet, he closed the door and he said, Mum, now we can be private. Oh, oh brilliant. <laughs> just just the two of you in that confined mind, space. <laughs> That's brilliant. I mean, the thing about social media, I know you've got quite strong opinions on this. What, what, what is your advice about sharing photos of your kids, that sort of sharenting? And also, is it fair on kids? Some people are like, later on, hang on, you've created this brand that's not my brand. Um, what do you think about do you think it's okay? I mean, it's useful for me sometimes because I need to know how old my godchild is so I can send them a, a vaguely relevant present. What do you think about this sharing? Is it okay sometimes, just not all of the time, or should we try and leave them off social media completely? I think some people don't know when to stop. Some people go so far overboard. There was this one woman who had something like 17 photos, almost identical, of her daughter, her, her like one-year-old daughter on Facebook. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, something's gone wrong here. She's accidentally put too many photos up. No, she actually thought every single one of them was just as fascinating as the last one and, in fact, meant to post 17 identical photos of her daughter turning one. And I thought, that's just obscene. No one is that interested in other people's children. They really are not. Perhaps the aunties, perhaps the grandparents, but most people aren't that interested. I think we'd save a lot of time if we just stopped documenting obsessively on social media every aspect of our kids' lives. Some of my friends will post all sorts of crazy things like the homework that their six-year-old did where this snail flying in the sky looks like a penis. And so they post it and they put their kid's name on it. 21 years down the track when that kid's going for a, um, for a job, their flying dick um, <laughs> snail is going to come back to bite them. And you think perhaps they could have just maybe not put that up in the first place. So I think kids are actually starting to fight back. I mean, I've never put a lot about my kids on Facebook. Um, I've tended to use Facebook more for work. And um, my kids do not want every aspect, every annoying, embarrassing thing that they have done that I think would sit very well with my Facebook followers, but would just be embarrassing as hell for them. And um, they're quite happy to tell me um, if they think I've ever overstepped the mark on that front. Well, that's good. Just to be clear, though, being embarrassing is a rite of passage as parents. I think we can we can agree that whatever we do, we're going to be embarrassing. But I, I like the advice in terms of the social media. Some of the other topics that you cover in the book, I want to kind of go through because they'd certainly. Can I be- go back to embar- Can we just stop? Can I go back to embarrassing? Oh, I've actually got a whole section on being embarrassing and the joy of embarrassing your kids because it does seem to be this this fun time where you can actually have your own back. And um, whether it's doing a little bit of daggy dancing uh, as you're driving your kids around, you know, when you stop at the traffic light and something, you know, Katy Perry's on and you do a little bit of dancing and the kids are in the background going, oh, mum, mum, stop. Um, you actually need to stop. That's, that's bad. Don't, can you not wave your hands like that? And you're like, oh, no, I love this song. This is so great. I think we need to em- embrace the embarrassing parent. Let the kids sweat a little once for once in a while 
Oh, I like that. So it's actually a sport in your household. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you talk about bras, you talk about sex, you talk about pimples. Oh, how's that pimple on your back? It's all just a little bit of fun. But the older the kids get and the more seriously they take themselves, they do need to be taken down a peg or two from now, every now and then. Yeah, I mean, I have two redheaded children, so I did say to them they're going to have to be able to handle <laughs> people <laughs> taking the piss out of them all the time. They're going to have to be really cool, um, of which thankfully they are. Um, so I wanted to kind of touch on some of the topics in the book, and one of which is unrealistic expectations of parenting. I mean, I remember before I had kids, I used to look at like snotty-nosed kids in their grubby superhero outfits, whining in the supermarket, and I'd think smugly, well, my kids are not going to be like that. And and then you have them and you think, fuck this, fine, wear that 16-day-old unwashed Spider-Man costume, but please, can we just get out the house? But now, yeah. of course, things, as you said, are worse because there is the internet and perfect celebrities and influencers who are doing everything perfectly and organically and breastfeeding beautifully. How do we avoid getting sucked into that vortex of external pressure? Should we start unfollowing people? Are there people that we should start following who will make us feel better? What's your advice around that? Well, there's a lot of research that shows that women actually feel better when they look at someone like Celeste Barber and they feel less good uh, when they look at all the picture-perfect Instagram um, goddesses. Um, you know, it, it's just so annoying because you know it's not real life. You know they've spent 24 hours taking that photo. The kids are crying. They're being bribed with juice boxes to stand against a rainbow wall and make little love hearts with their hands and hold their mum's hand in the with the sun shining just perfectly. You know, they've got the avocado uh, ice cream organic matching their avocado T-shirt I mean, the only time my kids' food matches what they're wearing is when they've spilt something down their tops. I mean, we have to stop <laughs> and say enough is enough. This is not real life. And quite often these women who are these social media influencers do posts at 3 a.m. saying, oh, this is the real me, you know, I'm so down to earth. It's not real life and that's not how even they are living their lives. Oh, yeah. It's like those women who do that sort of, you know, hashtag natural with a tiny roll as if that's, you know, oh, wow, that little roll. Yeah. How realistic. Well, <laughs> and it's hashtag blessed, hashtag earth mother, hashtag bullshit, I say. I'm sick of it. I, you know, they, they go on about how organic and natural they are. They're probably only getting through the day with a big dose of vodka in their organic green goddess smoothie. Is there anyone that you think um, people should follow? Obviously, Celeste Barber is glorious. Is there anyone else? I mean, I, I know there's a lady in the UK called At The Juggle UK, and she at the moment is, is getting people to send in videos of parents who are in lockdown, struggling with homeschooling and all the expectations. And, and some of them are pretty savage. So I think it'll make people feel a lot better about their lives. Are there any people that you recommend people follow or um, sort of heroes that you think are less fake? Well, there's some um, people like the imperfect mum. There's, um, oh, I don't know, I guess Celeste Barber. Anyone who makes you feel good. If you're looking at your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed and you feel worse about yourself, you feel worse about your life and you wonder why your kids don't look like that, your kids don't behave like that, why you went running at dawn um, against a beach backdrop so that you um, can inspire your friends inspire your friends to hate you more likely <laughs> um just follow people who make you feel good about yourself not who make you feel crap about yourself I think that's excellent advice um now guilt 
Um, the guilt thing is huge when it comes to parenting. Um, certainly from my own experience, I know there are so many things I could have done better. What is your advice for parents who are kind of wallowing in that particular cesspool of guilt? I think guilt comes when people feel that they're not living up to other people's expectations of them or even their own expectations. And we have to get to a point where we let the guilt go because no one actually really cares. No one cares what you give your kids for dinner. No one cares that they wore that T-shirt to bed and now they're wearing it the next day. I know people who put their kids to bed in their school uniforms and they wear them the next day because that's one step less that they have to do. I know people who give their kids toasted sandwiches for dinner. I've spent years doing that. So no one actually cares. We have to let go of this obsession that everyone is watching every move that we make as a parent and being ready to judge us and hate us and um, think that we're less because we're not concocting um, organic food from scratch every single night um, and running ourselves ragged doing it. I think the kids want us to relax a bit because then they get to relax. And who knows, we could get a little bit more couch time with the Netflix on without the kids coming and running to us every 15 minutes saying, there's no toilet paper, can you go and find me some? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things also you touch on in the book is one of the common complaints that parents have is about being time poor and not having enough time for themselves because they're running themselves so ragged and overscheduling everything. Um, what, how, how can we better manage our time? Do we have to go to every music recital, sporting match? Does the house need to be perfect? Like, how can we make parents feel better about their time management skills? You have to start saying no to things. You can't go to everything. You can't be expected to go to everything because then people people's lives are just a big whirlwind of got to you know get out the house, go and wait in the car. We've got to do this. We've got to turn up. We can't be late. Say no to the guitar recital. Say no to an extra basketball practice. Say no to being on a committee for something that doesn't actually really matter. Um, spend your time if it makes you happy watching movies with the kids. Like do the things that you enjoy as a family, not the things that you feel like you have to do. And I think people, as I said before, we're all busy, we're all working, we're all raising kids. Doing less parenting is something that people don't think of when they're trying to work out how to better manage their time. We think, oh, we'll, we'll see less of our friends or we will um, do less work. I'll cut back on my work hours. Do less parenting, less of that intensive, boring, time-driven, time-intensive parenting where you have to get three different kids to three different um, sporting activities um, on the same night. I think that's great advice. I'm still really disappointed that I didn't think about the getting your kid to sleep in their school uniform. I could have <laughs> saved a lot of time. Um, now, this one I kind of... <laughs> I feel bad about because helicopter parenting, I am definitely guilty of this one and I know how unhelpful it is, but it is hard to let it go. I even sign off my text to my children with the helicopter emoji as if, um, if I do it <laughs> ironically, <laughs> if I do it ironically and with a level of self-awareness, it's not so bad, but I know that it is. So why should parents stop, as you call it in the book, hyper-parenting and what kind of damage are we doing for our kids as a result? And because then they're sitting back 
and we're running ourselves ragged. Um, all, all the experts say that you shouldn't do things for your kids that they can do themselves. Um, look, I'm I'm as guilty on this one as anything. My um, my partner's always at me because I drive my kids way too often to places where they could get public transport. I mean, my, my oldest two are 15 and 17 and I drive my son to work and we do live on a train line and it is only two stops. But for me, I do that because that's my time with him. When you've got a 17-year-old who's got much better things to do than hang out with his mum, that's kind of our time to have a chat and catch up with what's happening in the next few days. So I can kind of justify it, um, but there's always less that we could be doing, whether it's making the kids cook dinner one night a week. I made my son cook sausages once and I was out and he was cooking for the family. He was about 16. I think I had 37 phone calls from him. <laughs> <laughs> Wanting assistance for every single step of the way. But we got there and now he was home by himself for four days this week when we were away. And he did actually manage to cook a few meals. And I believe he didn't order Uber Eats once. So persevere, it does get easier. Four days without Uber Eats, you definitely deserve a medal of some kind. Um, yeah, Uber was another one that I was like, when we were a kid, we couldn't just say, can we get an Uber? Like, uh, you know, or oh, I want sushi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I don't want sushi. I, I remember when we, we grew up in the Western Australian bush, like the idea of eating out, being driven everywhere, ordering food, going to restaurants, was so completely foreign to the way that most of us grew up. Um, and yet our kids have such high expectations of uh, the food they eat, the places they go, the holidays, you know, every day, what are we doing? Which actually means what are you doing for me today? Um, and they don't just go to their rooms and play. They say, what, can you take us to that new water park? It's like, mm. I think that's sure why you didn't ever you... take me anywhere. And I'm actually turned out okay. <laughs> I know. I think that's why you kind of um, talk a, a bit about in the book about embracing, you know, boredom and maybe experimenting with camping, even if it's just in your backyard, yeah. just so kids realize that they don't ha have to always be overscheduled. I mean, the last thing I just want to touch on in terms of the large sort of overarching topics is resilience. Um, everyone talks about building resilience these days and it's, you know, a superhero and it's certainly something you encourage. We help our kids to do. How can we actually practically do that you know so that that we make their lives longer better in the long run I mean obviously bad things happen and and that builds resilience but are there any other sort of practical ways that we can build resilience in our children's lives that we have to teach them is that bad things are going to happen and it's going to be okay and not doing everything for our kids the minute they need it perhaps not dropping their lunch off if they forget it in the morning not rushing to school um, to bring them forgotten sporting equipment. Um, I, I had a boyfriend many years ago who was in university and his mother used to make his lunch every single day and would still wrap his frozen little popper box in three layers of alfoil to keep it cold. So I think there is a limit to what we should be doing for our kids and them learning that things will go wrong and that's okay. They can cope because the world will continue is a really important thing for them to learn. I thought it might be quite fun just to do a little bit of a, a sort of a quick fire round to get your advice, um, sort of just quick snippets of advice on some specific acts of parenting. Um, mm -hmm. 
Some you cover in the book, um, some you don't. And, and clearly the intention here is not to offend anyone. Um, all the advice on this show should be taken with a large spoonful of salt. So let's kick off with that um, rather new phenomenon that you talk about in the book, gender reveal parties. What do you think about them? Nobody wants to spend three and a half hours on a build up for a cake that may be blue or pink in the middle. Let it go. No one really cares what sex your baby is except you. <laughs> True. Um, Get shit faced instead. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent advice. Um, I'm coming to your uh, next party. So, um, <laughs> okay, so then you have the kid and the kid is screaming a lot. Um, dummies, or as our American friends like to call them, pacifiers. What are your thoughts on dummies? Is that okay for half assed parents or should we try and avoid them? No, you shouldn't avoid anything that makes your life easier. Absolutely. I, I was begging my, my daughter to have a dummy. My first son had a dummy and we had to give it to the dummy fairy when he was two <laughs> because he liked the dummy a bit too much. Um, my, uh, my middle daughter, I would love for her to have had a dummy. So whatever makes your life easier. Someone told me a really good trick the other day, actually, about dummies, because uh, there's someone um, uh, you obviously wouldn't let it go and the dummy fairy hadn't visited yet. So apparently you just cut a tiny little bit of the dummy each time. And so by the end, it's just, there's just, there's no goodness at all. Oh, there's nothing to suck. <laughs> yeah, they don't get any but benefit. The dummy is so funny because, you know, when you have, I've got three kids and so you watch your standards drop every time. So the first time you have a kid and they drop the dummy, you'd sterilise it, you get a new one, you put it, you know, there's no way that you would put it back in their mouth. The second you run it under the hot tap and you think, yeah, that's right, you stick it back in. The third, you lick it and put it back in their mouth. Oh, lick it. You are a really good third parent. <laughs> the third kid never gets any attention unless they're screaming or there's blood. So they're the most resilient of all. Okay. And what about letting your kid sleep in your bed? Um, I, my kids, my third son, um, I did breastfeed him often in bed which I believe might be against a whole range of um, expert advice uh, but for me it was easier so whatever works I think if the child is still um, lying between you and your partner when they're six years old and you haven't had a bonk in all that time uh, perhaps it's time to uh, lead them gently to their own bedroom but whatever works I mean who am I to say that someone shouldn't be co-sleeping with their kid because they could be could have special needs and may actually need that extra comfort but if if it's affecting the time that you are sleeping yourself or if it means you haven't had a shag without an audience in six months then perhaps it's time to do something about it. Yeah, I remember someone saying to me, because there are all, you know, as you go through the stages of parenting, there are so many different things that you worry about from, you know, wetting the bed to knits to uh, whatever it might be as you go along. And, and someone said, you know, if that one day they're walking up the aisle, they don't worry, they probably won't have knits then, they won't have a dummy still in their mouth, I'm sure they won't still be wetting the bed. So eventually this too shall pass. Um, yes. Okay, what about being best friends with your children? I think it's to be discouraged at all costs because I might want my 15-year-old daughter to be my best friend. She sure as hell doesn't want a 50-year-old woman to be her best friend. Absolutely not. And it just means that you're spending too much time trying to be hip and young and not enough time saying, no, no, you can't have that. No, you can't go there. No, you can't get the latest AirPods that are going to cost me $700, which you'll probably lose within a week. Um, we're spending too much time trying to be friends with our kids and it, it leads to a very permissive type of parenting. 
um, we have we can't lose that boundary between parent and kid. They don't want us to be their best friends. They want us to be their parents. Yeah, and all the advice says generally, especially with boys, they actually feel safer when there are boundaries, even if they pretend they don't want them. Um, how about having a favourite child? Are we lying if we say we don't have one? I think we've got favourite child. Each of our children is a favourite in different ways. And um, my youngest was just sweet and gorgeous. My middle daughter is feisty and I love her for that. My oldest son is responsible and, and mature and I love him for that. So you probably don't have one favourite. You've probably got all of them are favourites in different ways. Yeah, mine sort of depend on the day of the week or who's, who's <laughs> taken the rubbish out or brought me a cup of coffee or something. Um, okay, how about helping your teenager get a fake ID? Um, they're going to do it anyway. They might as well have a good one because <laughs> you don't really want them to be caught. Um, I probably wouldn't help my son get a fake ID. Um, he's 17, so this is probably an issue where facing um but I probably would look the other way if he did have one yeah I think with some of those things I know you talk about sort of drinking and stuff in the book and I think it's it's better to sort of know and be realistic about some of the things they do I'm embarrassed to admit that I have helped my children get a fake ID but as I explained before they do have red hair so there's there's more limited (laughs) amount of older children at their school that they can purchase one from Um, uh, thankfully my daughter's passed that stage and my son very nearly is Um, what about talking to your kids about sex how open do you think you should be about that and, and what sort of stage do you think that's kind of okay to chat about over the dining table well, as soon as they're old enough to deal with the idea of sex, um, that you should be talking about it. Um, and they should certainly know about it by the time they start high school, because chances are they're looking at porn by the time they're 13 or 14, particularly, or even younger, if they're boys. Um, they need to see sex as a normal part of life, but they also need to know that um, to take precautions and that sex is something that is um, very important and it's respectful. And um, you need to cover cover off all of the important information about respectful relationships with teenagers, um, about safe sex. You can't assume that if someone gets pregnant that they will agree to have an abortion, for example. Um, so the, 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 the more open those conversations are, the better. Um, the kids that get really stuck with some of this stuff are people who can't talk to their parents um, about the issues that are affecting them. Yeah, I mean, it was funny. One of my friends was sort of, she'd been leaving it a little bit too long, as you say. You've really got to get in there well before high school. And she, she you could tell she left it too long because she got to the point where she found a box of condoms in her son's bedroom. And the problem she was grappling with is there was only one had been used. So there was a, a torn, empty packet. And she was discussing with me, does this mean that my son has had sex? And I said, well, you know, maybe he was just practicing and then a male friend of mine piped up and said, maybe he was having a posh wank. Do you know what a posh wank is? <laughs> no. A I posh do. wank is when you have a wank into the condom so that you don't get mess on the sheets, which I thought was really rather genius. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> that's, that's better than finding a sock that doesn't seem to be washing all that well. <laughs> I think absolutely. I just ball all the washing up and just put it uh, yeah, in the machine. Um, now, and lastly, I just want to sort of talk about the, the tagline of your book is that it's about raising kids with half the guilt and twice the joy. 
And I love that because when we're in the thick of parenthood, it it can feel hard to remember to find that joy. And I I mean, I certainly encourage all the mums and dads out there to, now that my kids are getting older like yours um, and they're often, you know, way busier with their friends or partners or jobs. And I promise you, you will look back on all that crazy sleep deprived mess with nostalgia and, uh, and miss it. Do you agree, Susie? I mean, it's a pretty awesome privilege to be someone's parent. Yeah, it's an awesome privilege to be a parent, to be a step-parent is also very special. And this too will pass, as you say, all the shit bits. They remind you of all the embarrassing things you've done or they've done. We had a trip once where um, my kids were, I think, like three and four. We took them to the snow, although there wasn't any snow, so we took them to the grass, which did not work very well. And they ended up having these massive tantrums in the restaurant where it was like I was trying to take their brains out with a fork. They were making that much fuss and mess because I made them share an orange juice, um, God forbid, and I'd forgotten that. I'd written about it or, like, written it down. And it was amazing to think that something that was so annoying at the time and I thought about for months about how could I have been raising such annoying little entitled brats, 10 years later I'd completely forgotten that that even existed. So you do forget and that's probably a good thing. Well, I think so, I think also some of the worst things that happen during raising kids make for some of the best dinner party stories. So that's also useful content to entertain your friends with. Um, I think I'm watching that's all we've got time for today. Um, I really want to thank you for making our listeners feel a lot less stressed about being perfect and doing everything um, and trying to embrace this half-assed concept of parenting. So um, please go and buy the book, lovely people. Um, it's out in early February. I'm going to put all the details on how to get it on the show notes and we might um, gather together, Susie and I, some extra cool resources and things that might help you survive, especially for our friends who are in lockdown over in the UK and Europe. Um, I would love to get you back on the show later this year, Susie. You've been brilliant. Um, you definitely sound like someone I'd like to have a drink with. And um, I'm sure... I'm glad you said drink, not coffee. That's, yeah. That's Hell yeah, that's a deal alley. breaker. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate all you guys tuning in and listening. So thanks very much. Over and out. That's all the time we have. This podcast is brought to you by the fine people, well, me, at thinrichhappy.com. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to subscribe. Or if you really enjoyed this episode, please leave a review, which will help other people find the podcast. For extra podcast goodies, you can visit belesscrap.com.